But hey, this morning we're going to start a brand new sermon series out of the book of Galatians. We're actually starting for the entire fall. And our ushers are actually making their way down right now. If you did not receive one of these books, uh, it's a Bible journal. If you did not receive one this morning, just raise your hand and they'll hand one to you right now, wherever you are in the room. Uh, they'll hand that across to you. Now, this is not a notebook. It is not, uh, you know, like all the study notes and all the study guides are not in here. In fact, you can get those if you go to our app, my TRBC app, that you can get download on your phone, or you can go to our website at watch.trbc.org, and you'd be able to pick those up as well. This is literally nothing more, but certainly nothing less than God's Word. It is the, the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, all contained in one booklet. And on each page, the scripture is on your left, and there's a place for notes on your right. And so we encourage you to take these, get a pen, and follow along as we are walking through these books this fall. Take some notes and, and make some ideas and write down some thoughts. Write down what God is telling you. Not necessarily what I'm telling you, but what God is telling you as you read his word. And these will be great reference points and you'll be able to go back years from now to go back and look and hey, what did God say to me as I prepared my heart and mind to receive his word? And so we have those. And so this fall, I've said it a couple of times, I'll just kind of make it clear again, kind of just make sure the statement, you understand what we're doing. So this fall, we're walking through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians this fall here at Thomas Road. Now, here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be walking through Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, that doesn't mean we're dropping out Ephesians and skipping over it, but we actually are walking through the book of Ephesians in our groups, in all of our life groups. And so, um, this past Tuesday, we started, we had uh, like hundreds and hundreds that started on Tuesday walking through the book of Ephesians. And so this is a study guide that actually has notes and, and thoughts and questions and applications and things. So I encourage you, get involved in your group. If you missed it last week, that's okay. Jump in this week. Uh, our men's groups meet on Tuesday. Women's groups meet on Tuesday as well, uh, along with a lot of other groups, some that are meeting here this morning. We want to make sure you have the opportunity of connecting. And so this fall, we're going to cover all four books. And so I just encourage you to hang on to these books, keep a hold of them, and make sure they are part of your personal Bible study, not only for today and this fall, but for the rest of your lives. Now, we also have some other resources that we are going to uh, allow you to, to connect to as well as we walk through these books. Uh, we have some reading plans and some other things, and so right there, uh, you can have all of those. Just go to those uh, websites or or whatever, say websites, and we've got the, the sermon notes that you can find there on the app stores, and you can get that as well. So today we're going to start in Colossians. I'm sorry, in Galatians. Colossians is a lot later. Uh, you can tell I'm a, I've been, listen, I've been teaching through the book of Revelation all summer, and so I forgot for a while that there are other parts of Scripture because I've been so engrossed in the book of Revelation. But we're going to start today in the book of Galatians, and we're going to be walking through this passage, walking through these chapters looking at this little letter, this little epistle that God has to give to us uh, to let us know, to let us see what he wants us to see, of how he wants us to live. Now, we've entitled this entire sermon series for this fall, Jesus First. And it's kind of a throwback, a little bit of a reference to what we have been doing here literally for 40 plus years, actually 50 years we've been doing here at Thomas Road. Uh, you'll see this little pin that's on my lapel here. It says the Jesus First pen. It's a Jesus first pen. Uh, my dad and the ministry, the church and Liberty, we've sent out 
tens of millions of those throughout uh, these last many decades. You've seen many of them. A lot of you have these pins that you wear. Uh, I see them literally all over the world. I, I run into, I jumped in one time. This is a true story. I was in Europe. Uh, and I can't remember what country it was, but I got into a taxi cab in a, in a country in Europe, and I, I got into the taxi cab, and the taxi driver was driving, and I could see in the mirror that he had a Jesus First pin on. And so these are literally all around the globe. That's not to say anything about what Thomas Road has been able to do. That is to say that this message is one that is timeless, this message is one that is important, and this message is one that we must embrace in our journey and in our lives if we're going to be all and do all that God wants us to do. And so we're going to start today by walking through the book of Galatians. Now this is a little letter, a little epistle. And by the way, by the word, the word epistle just literally means a letter. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. We'll read that in just a few moments. He wrote it somewhere around 50 AD. Uh, he wrote it to, to a group of people that were actually Germans. Kind of a strange story, but some, the people who were started kind of in the German area where we find Germany today, and they, they left there and they traveled uh, eastward. And as they traveled eastward, many of them ended up in what is now today modern day Turkey. They were there. They got there about 279, 278 B.C. Uh, they were there for a while. They were given that, that property by uh, some, some other leaders in that area. And then in about 189 or so B.C., they were conquered by Rome. They became a Roman province. And, and so it's in this area that we find cities that we read about in scriptures like Iconium and Lystra and Derby and other places like that. And so that is what this churches of Galatia, that is the region. It's in modern day Turkey. Paul visited those places on his first and second missionary journeys, and he planted churches throughout as he traveled in that space. And, and, and here, he's writing this little letter, and this letter is a little bit different than the other letters, the other epistles that we will study and that we will read, that you have read in God's Word. And so, to give us an idea, a picture of like what the purpose behind this book really is, of like, why is it that Paul wrote this letter and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And he literally wrote this letter to attack legalism and to reinforce the power and the sufficiency of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tony Morita says it this way, as we study this book, we should begin to see more clearly what grace is to be saturated with it and to know when it is being taught accurately. Let me say those again. There's are three purposes of this book. The first, so that we will know more clearly what grace is to be saturated with it and to know when it is being taught accurately. And as a result of that, when we hear a false gospel, we should be discerning enough to recognize it. That when you hear something that doesn't quite line up with that doesn't mesh with scripture, doesn't mesh with God's word, that you will not be led astray, that you will not be blown about by every wind of doctrine, but rather that you will lean into the truth of God's word and know the truth of God's word. And to be honest you, with you, to challenge when you were hearing the word of God preached inaccurately. I mean, the greatest thing that we could ever do here at Thomas Road is if I or any other pastor stands on the stage and begins to say something that doesn't quite line up with scripture, that all of you in this room would be so in tune and so connected to God's word that you would be the first to challenge me at the end of the service to say, hey, that wasn't right. That's not what God's word says. Now, I get a couple of those every week anyway. 
and not always uh, not always kind, but, but regardless, like, like that you would have the opportunity and the knowledge of the understanding of what God's word really says, what the gospel is all about, what grace is. And that's the reason Paul wrote this letter. And so let's just dive in right up front. And we're going to start talking here. Galatians chapter one, verse one. Uh, I think it's page four on the little study guide that we gave out. And we're going to begin looking at Paul's purpose here uh, for this picture of this idea of what it is that Uh, This book, this letter wants to say to us. And so it starts with this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right there, that's the, that is the introductory statement of this book. Now, it's a little bit different than other introductory statements. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But, but there, Paul has written his, like, you know, dear church, you know, kind of dear John, dear Paul, dear, dear Stephen. Like, he's written that, that statement, that introductory statement. Now we jump into the body of the letter. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed, for I do, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant or a slave of Christ. Now, these first 10 verses that we've just read, we find in them some very important statements that, that set this letter apart from a lot of other Paul's letters, a lot of other Paul's epistles. It starts right up front when he makes this statement, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. Now, why does he say it that way? Why does he say this statement in this way? Here's why. Because he was being attacked for actually being the things that he's preaching in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to set it right up front to the churches of Galatia, churches that he had founded, many of them, that were now walking through, as we just read a moment ago, that we're going to talk about in a few moments, had begun walking away from God's plan, walking away from the sufficiency of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to make sure right up front that he's establishing himself is that I am an apostle. But I was not chosen by man. I was not one that the people gathered together and they drew lots, they drew straws to figure out whether I was going to be the lucky one to be chosen. No, I was chosen by God and God alone. Now, I've said it before. We said it and talked about it a few weeks ago during our Revelation series that I believe that Paul actually is the 12th apostle the one who replaced Judas. Now we know, uh, if you go back to the book of Acts, the disciples gathered together there, and they, they drew lots, they drew straws there, and, and they, they chose Matthias. Uh, it's interesting that in Acts chapter one is the only place that we actually read about or hear about or talk about Matthias. Uh, I believe that, that God chose Paul to be the 12th apostle to replace, uh, to replace Judas. And so here, Paul's making it very clear, like God has chosen me as an apostle. 
So what I say to you, I do not say to you because I was chosen by man. I was not ordained by a church. I was not sent by a group of individuals. I was not the person who, you know, a council got together and voted. Paul, we want you to go to the churches in Galatia and make an impact and make a difference in their lives. No, no, no. That's not what happened. What happened is that God himself spoke to Paul and called Paul out of his uh, way of following what he thought at the time, following God, to become the apostle that God was going to use to preach this gospel to people literally all over the world and for all of time. And so he makes this declaration right up front. And he says, Paul, and I'm an apostle of God, not from man nor through man, but rather of Jesus Christ and our God uh, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he makes this very clear statement. But then he goes on to say, uh, as we walk through this introductory statement of the book of Galatians, it's interesting because when you read like the books of Ephesians, the people that he's writing to, the church at Ephesus, they're called faithful. He talks about how he's grateful for them. In the book of Philippians, he talks about how he he gives thanks to God for them because of their faithfulness to to God. In the book of Colossians, again, he uses that phrase that that this is a, a group of people, a church that is faithful and I give thanks to God for you and what you have done and are doing. You don't find that here in Galatians. In fact, this book really kind of had, has a very uh, stark beginning, a, a very uh, kind of a, an accusatory beginning, because after he gives this statement about who he is and why, uh, why he is writing, that is the idea of like, I'm an apostle and, and I've been appointed by God to come to you and, and the people who are with me. And he gets right into this next statement to begin to challenge the churches in Galatia because they were messing up. If we read this passage again, he says this. Uh, Very clearly, I marvel, verse six, that you are turning away so soon from him who called. I marvel that you are moving away so soon. That statement, when he talks about turning away, literally is the idea, the Greek word there, it gives the idea of transposing. If I were to walk back to one of these keyboards back here and play like a note, like the note of C, And then I were to go in and to turn the little transpose button, that note of C that I played that was a perfect note, I could easily, with a little uh, knob, I could turn it where when I played it again, it would be transposed into a different key. It would sound totally different, radically different. That's the idea of why Paul is writing this letter. Because you, the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, the people of Galatia, you are taking this message, this gospel that God has delivered to you and you are transposing it with something that is radically different. Something that is not at all like what God intended for you to believe and to walk in. He's attacking a group of what was called Judaizers. And basically the idea, the the perversion of the gospel that was taking place at this time were these Judaizers who were coming in to say that, yes, we understand the gospel and we understand that you believe and trust in Christ. However, the only way for you to truly be saved is for you to go back under the old way of doing things under the law. To go back to that that standpoint, that situation, to to put yourself into the idea that you must follow the Mosaic law if you're going to live for Christ. In other words, what they were saying is that the only way to truly be saved is to walk back into the idea of a works-based salvation. In other words, that you must do in order to be saved. 
that you must live a certain way, act a certain way, eat certain things, not eat certain things, that you must do things a different way according to the Mosaic law if you're going to be a person who truly is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in other words, what they're saying is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not sufficient. So you can see why Paul is angry with the churches of Galatia. I marvel that you have turned away so quickly from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You have transposed this message of the gospel. You have transposed this this picture of what Christ has done. And so quickly after Jesus was here and he died and was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven and the churches all began and people were were radically getting saved and God was doing amazing work. And now all of a sudden, so quickly, you've moved away. Why? Because you've started listening to different voices. And so the picture that Paul wants us to understand here is that the picture of the message that we must listen to is not the message of man, but rather the message of God, which takes us all the way back to verse one, when Paul says, I'm not talking to you as someone who was sent by man. I'm not chosen by man. I was chosen by God to declare the gospel is sufficient to declare the gospel is enough. It's all you need. Verse seven goes on to say, talking about this different gospel, which is not another, it says, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now I would tell you today and submit to you today that here we are in 2023, we're 2000 years removed from the writing of this book, writing of this letter when Paul sat down and, and penned these statements to the churches of Galatia. And I would say to you today, like nothing has changed. That there are people today who want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about like the people who are like radically against this whole idea of Christ, the people who attack Christ, who attack the word of God, who attack the church. Like that's obvious. Like you can pick up on that, right? Like like you know when people tell you that Jesus is is not Christ, that he's not God, that, that the Bible's not the word of God, that it's a fable. Like you know that those people are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about are the people who are within the church who are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ by making you believe, making you think, making you lean into the idea that you must do something in order to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, a works-based salvation that is up to you, that it's not just Christ through the faith in Christ that, that we find salvation, that it's through faith in Christ and what we do that brings us to salvation. And so that's the reason that Paul is writing These words. It's interesting that he goes on to say in this passage in verses uh, eight and nine, listen to what he says. But even if we, and he's talking about himself, like even if I, Paul, uh, or Titus, or Barnabas, or the others who work alongside of me, even if we or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, that word accursed there is the Greek word anathema, which literally means condemned. So what Paul, and very, again, right out of the gate on this letter, like right in the first words of this letter, he's saying this, if even I tell you anything other than the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and it is through Christ and Christ alone and faith in him that we find salvation, if you, me, or anyone else tells you anything differently than that truth, then I should be condemned. 
In other words, what he's literally saying, the actual statement that Paul's saying is that I should spend eternity in hell if I tell you anything other than what Jesus himself said. If it's anything other than the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone is where we find our salvation, then I should be condemned. So you can see how Paul writes and starts this letter like in a very uh, accusatory and attacking way. Like, guys, I can't believe you're walking away from the very idea that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was enough. How dare you? And if you listen to anyone, and if anyone tells you any differently, they should spend an eternity in hell for trying to lead you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he moves right into that into verse 11 and following where we find God's promise. Look what it says in verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Compare that with uh, verses one uh, and two where it talks about I didn't, you know, I wasn't an apostle by man. I was appointed by God. Now here I'm preaching a gospel to you that is not by me. It's not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church uh, of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. What he's saying is, like as he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, like I am chief among sinners. I was the worst of the worst and I was attacking the church. I was attacking you. I was attacking any idea or thought about this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it goes on to say, when, I, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And what Paul is emphasizing here is that the gospel is not a creation of man's imagination, but rather it is literally a gift from God, as it tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In that passage, it tells us that the the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The idea, the picture of the gospel is not something that man conjured up. It's not something that, you know, some person had this idea, this picture, this revelation. They sat down and and wrote it down and sent it off and, and started a religion or started a church like so many other religions that we see on the face of the earth today. No, this came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ himself. And so Paul uh, talks about how he himself even tried to stop this message of the gospel, but yet God intervened and God let him see that the gospel can overcome anything in our past and that we can still be used. What an incredible picture of the promise of God. That no matter what you've done, no matter how you've lived, no matter how you maybe have even attacked the gospel of Jesus Christ, attacked the church, lived in opposition to the message of the gospel, that you are never outside of the reach. You're never too far from the grace of God that you can be used by God to make an impact and make a difference in this world, just as the apostle Paul was. And that is the message that he says right up front here. Guys, you're getting a perverted message. You're hearing a false gospel. You're hearing another gospel. You are turning away from what you believed at first. But have faith. Like be encouraged. Because even though you have done that, you are not outside of the grace of God to be able to run back 
to who God wants you to be. And man, if there's any other message, if there were no other message that we could get from the letter to the Galatian church, it would be that one. Because that's a message to us. Hey, when you blow it, you're not outside of the grace of God. When you mess up, you're not outside of the grace of God. When sin creeps inside of your heart or your mind, when you allow yourself to fall to temptation, you are not outside of the grace of God. That the grace of God is sufficient. And Paul makes that message very clear in this statement. And he talks about it here as the promise that comes directly from God. Now, Paul goes on to talk in verses 18 and following in chapter one, he talks about how God trained him. Paul's training here. Listen to what it says. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and I remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Paul makes it clear here that, that his greatest teacher was God, that he didn't go up to Peter and, and find, like, Peter, tell me what to do, what to say. And like, like, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to, you know, you know, Peter Theological Seminary here, that he literally recognized, like, like, God is the one that did this work in me. And again, that's a great message, a great statement for all of us, is you don't have to have a PhD to be used by God. You don't have to spend, a, you know, years in seminary or, or, or years serving in the local church to be a person who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively and efficiently. All you must do is be willing that even your testimony of what you did in opposition to the church before can actually be used for good if you'll simply follow him now. And Paul makes this clear in this statement. He goes on to say, uh, in these statements here, uh, in, in chapter two, turn over to Galatians chapter two. He goes on to say in verse one, and then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, and Titus himself was not going to go back to that Mosaic law way of living. And this occurred because of false brethren who secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised or those who were outside of the Mosaic law living in grace um, for the, uh, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to this circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Now, here in verses one and two, uh, it's a reference some to believe, believe to be to the Jerusalem council. 
And that is when the Christians, the early church came together to decide once and for all the decision, do you have to go back and live under Jewish law, under the Mosaic law in order to be a Christian? So in other words, they were trying to say, okay, so if you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, if you ask him to save you according to the gospel that was preached to you, do you then also have to go and begin living under Jewish Mosaic law in order for that gospel message to be effective? And the message of the Jerusalem council was, and according to the inspiration of God's spirit in that place, like absolutely not, because that's counter to what Jesus taught. Jesus taught it very clearly that he came to fulfill the law. In other words, the law wasn't useless, but the law is useless now. In other words, we don't have to live under that now. We live under grace. Why? Because Jesus was one sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. And so here we see the picture of exactly what it is that Jesus taught us, what Paul writes about here. And so Paul took Titus with him to this council. He took Titus with him to this meeting as they began talking about this idea, do we have to go back and live under Mosaic law? And as we've already seen in chapter one, Paul makes it very clear, like anything outside of the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is preached to you is a lie. And anyone who preaches it to you should be condemned. And so here in chapter two, obviously the message continues, like stay away from that teaching. Either Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection was enough, or it was a waste of time. Either Jesus paid for our sins once and for all, or he should never have even come. Either Jesus did it, or it will never be done. Because we can't gain that on our own. And that's the message that Uh, that uh, Paul is trying to give to the Galatian church. And then we come to verses 11 and following where we find Paul's confrontation. Now this is an important part of this message, an important part of this statement. He says in verse 11, so now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. In other words, he like stood up to him. He, He confronted him because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, that means from Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, what does all that mean? Basically, the picture that Paul's given is this is that Peter came and he met Paul there in Antioch. And when he was there in Antioch, he was away from the Jerusalem church. He was away from the people back who were mainly Jewish, you know, the Jewish background, away from the Judaizers who believed that you had to live under the certain law. And so when Peter was hanging out with Paul and all the Gentiles, Christians there in that church, like, man, they're going out and they're having hot dogs every afternoon. Like they're hanging out at the, you know, at Mertz and the weenie stand and all the places that serve all the hot dogs. Like they're just having fun. They're eating pork. I mean, they're having a great time. It's barbecue city in Antioch. And so they're having all this great time because they're under the Mosaic law. They couldn't eat those things. Right? They were unclean. But now Peter's like hanging out. He's like, man, this is good. Like I lived all those years and didn't eat pork, man. Pork is good. And he's, you know, a cheeseburger. You can actually put cheese on meat like Wow, this is amazing. I'm sure glad Christ died on the cross so I could have a Big Mac. I mean, like that's the idea. And so as this is going on, 
What Paul is saying is that when the people came from James, now James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And so when the people from Jerusalem came to visit and Peter, that when Peter saw them coming, he quickly took his Big Mac and he wrapped it up in a wrapper and he threw it in the trash can and he ran back over to the kosher table and he's eating from the kosher table. Because he's trying to like fit back in with that group because with, with, with this group he's living under grace and under this group he's living under law. And he's going back and, and he's acting like, oh, well, I've got to do this now because you know, they're coming, they're going to see me. What are they going to think? In other words, what he was doing by action is he was refuting the whole idea and the whole picture is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient because he had to live under the law again. And Paul wisely and under the inspiration of God's spirit, Paul wasn't going to stand for it. And so Paul went right up to Peter. Can you imagine going up to the apostle Peter, the one that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The one that, that was there when, when, when Christ was, was crucified, like all of this amazing, and he walks up to Peter and he confronts Peter in front of everybody and says, you are a hypocrite. That's like walking up in modern day times to Billy Graham. You are a hypocrite. I mean, like, can you imagine doing something like that? But yet the apostle Paul saw the gospel as so vitally important that it must be done. Why? Not because it's wrong if you don't, if you choose to not eat cheeseburgers, not it's wrong that if you choose not to eat pork, you may choose to do that and that's fine. But if you think you have to do those kinds of things, legalism in order to be a Christian, then you are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Modern day connection. If you think your hair has to be a certain length to be a Christian, and if you can't be a Christian, if your hair is a little longer, that's legalism. And that's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think you have to look a certain way or act a certain way to walk into a church and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the only way you can be a follower of Jesus Christ is if you look a certain way or act a certain way. That's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is making clear here is that the gospel is enough. Now, certainly there are preferences. Like my preferences, my hair, you know, I'm not gonna grow my hair down to my waist. Number one, I would look stupid. Number two, at my age, I probably couldn't even pull it off. I'm not gonna do that. That's a preference though, that's not a principle. In other words, if someone does have their hair locked down to their waist and they claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, my response to them is to rejoice, not to attack. My response is to embrace them as a brother in Christ, not to push them away because they don't look the part in my mind. You see what I'm saying? And like you could go like down a whole litany of different items of different things of people that might look the right way or not act the right. And you, like, it is not up to you to decide whether a person is a follower of Jesus Christ and has, followed, uh, has believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not up to you. Like, you can't do it. Only God knows the heart. If someone comes to you and they, man, they're dressed and they look like they're like, man, they're rough. Like the kind of person that if you're walking down an alley and they walked in, you'd be scared to death. And they come up to you and they embrace you and say, man, I'm, man, I'm saved and I'm radically saved and God has transformed my life. Like, do not run from them. Lock arms with them because Jesus's gospel is enough. The gospel is sufficient. And that's what Paul wants to make clear and why he confronted Peter in that very thing. Quickly goes on to verse 15. 
we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things, in other words, if I go back to the idea that I have to do things, it's gotta be works, to find my salvation. If I go back and build those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, a sinner. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If our hope, if our salvation, if our future is based on what we do, then Jesus Christ should never have set foot out of heaven. He should never have walked on this earth. He never should have died. There was no point in his death. There's no point in us talking about Easter. There's no point in celebrating the resurrection. If it's all based on what we do or what we don't do to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then if it's up to us, then Christ should never have even come, is what Paul's saying. It says in the New Living Translation in verse 16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one's life will be changed by simply doing good things. No one will ever become a Christian because you are you know, church, uh, attending a church or going to a certain church or serving in the church. No one will become a Christian and spend eternity in heaven because you're a kind person. No one will ever spend eternity in heaven because you love your neighbor as yourself. No one will ever spend eternity in heaven because you're just an awesome person who is helping the poor and reaching out to the needy and volunteering in the nursery and serving in the parking lot and singing in the worship team and playing the instrument on the stage. No one gets to heaven by what you do. You only get to heaven by what Christ has done, period. I love what, I love what J. Vernon McGee says about the book of Galatians. And he says this, every other religion says do. Christianity says done. Every other religion says do. Christianity says done. Jesus is enough. The question, have you embraced that gospel? And my prayer is that you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear message that Paul gives to us under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to walk away from any ideas or any Uh, uh, philosophies or any thoughts or any teachings or any books or any preachers or any sermons, any messages whatsoever that teach us anything other than the fact that we find our salvation through believing that Jesus is your son, that he died and rose again, 
by calling on your name. God, I pray that for every person in this room, everyone watching or listening, if they've never made that declaration, God, I pray that today would be the day. They'll never be good enough. They'll never serve enough. They'll never give enough. They'll never be kind enough. It's only through Christ. So God, I pray that today, that's the decision that will be made. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathered here at the front. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the great news, great news that I can give you today is this. doesn't matter what yesterday looks like. doesn't matter what last night looks like. doesn't matter what you were doing last night at midnight. If you were out partying, if you were out doing things you should not have done, doesn't matter what you did yesterday. doesn't matter what you did this morning. Here's what matters. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe he died and rose again? And as it tells us in Romans chapter 10, if you believe those words, if you confess that with your lips and turn away from the sin of rejecting Christ and call on his name, you will be saved. Now let me be clear. What I just said is not permission for you to get saved today and go out and do whatever you want tonight. Because the one thing that's clear, we're going to get to that here in a couple of chapters, in a couple of weeks as we walk through the book of Galatians. Like when you come to Christ, while it's not what you do and it's not how you live that gets you to Christ, once you get to Christ, it is going to change how you live. It's going to make you desire different things. It's going to make you want to walk in a different way. It's going to make you want to look a little bit different. So I'm not giving you permission to live how you want tonight. I'm just saying this, like, hey, what you have done is not an indicator of whether you can come to Christ. Jesus died, and it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. And so if you're here today and you've never met Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to sing through just one time a song that basically says it's in Christ and Christ alone. And, and as we sing these words, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to invite you to make your way down to the front and talk with one of our team members that's gathered here. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and pray and just kind of recommit yourself to Christ. Maybe you want to come and join our church family or come for, uh, to be a, join in baptism. Or maybe just come and, and man, you just want to find out some more about this whole idea of, of the gift that Christ gave in the death of his son, of the, the death of, and, and burial and resurrection that he gave. Whatever it is that you today want to seek out according to God's plan and God's will, as we sing these words, I just encourage you to step out and to come down today. Do not ignore the calling of God and the move of the Holy Spirit on your life in this moment. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict you and to bring you to Christ. And if you today, if you feel that tug, don't ignore it. Because that and that alone is what will save you, believing in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and Charles is going to lead us. In Christ my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still. When striving seeks my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I'll stay. The altar remains open. We would love to connect with you. We would love to talk with you. Some are coming now. 
Don't forget, next week we're going to move right on through to Galatians chapter 3. We encourage you, read through this week. Start with Galatians 1. Read all the way up through Galatians 3 or 4 for next week as we come back to study and to read and to find out what it is that God wants us to see. Get involved in a life group this week as we're walking through Ephesians. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.